did a little Christmas shopping a week ago and actually came home with something for me <laughs> from my wife. Uh, just the day before, I had mentioned to Cindy that I had uh, seen this gun that I might be interested in. And as I was at Walmart uh, that Saturday after Black Friday, uh, I was getting some paint and, and I was waiting for the paint to be finished uh, uh, and I asked the gal just to make conversation with her if they had any big sales still going on from the day before. And she said, well, uh, all the guns are on sale the whole weekend. And uh, that caught my attention. Uh, after I got my can of paint, I went down to check out uh, this particular gun that I was interested in. And sure enough, they had one. I sent Cindy a text and, and uh, I said, hey... <laughs> This gun's on sale. What do you think? And she sent me back a text and said, if you really want it, go ahead and get it. Uh, she didn't have to tell me twice. I told the lady there behind the, the counter that I wanted that gun. And I would like to blame Obama for what happened next. Because the, the amount of paperwork that it took to buy that gun and the amount of time... And if anything could go wrong, it went wrong. There was a questionnaire that I had to fill out, and, and I did my part on the questionnaire there on the, the computer and, and uh, turned it around the, uh, for her to do her part. And, and she'd get going on her part, and then the computer would shut down. Three times I had to fill that questionnaire out. And she even called the manager, and he came and got in on it. And, and we finally got past that hurdle. And then there was another glitch that we had to get past. And all of this time, I was tempted to be mouthy. <laughs> I was tempted to lose my patience. But I knew that my witness was on the line. And so, with God's help, I decided to resist that temptation. And do you know what helped me? also, is the number of church people that just kept filing by the counter. And uh, they were seeing me, and I remember Idella Brown, she walked past, and I waved at her, and we spoke to one another, and, and uh, she didn't realize that she was helping me be accountable. She was helping me hold my tongue. Uh, Chad Cousins was there. Uh, Chad, I think, was trying to buy a hunting license, and he had some other things he was trying to buy. And so we stood there and talked with one another for a while. Just the fact of other Christians being there in that neighborhood helped give me strength. It kept me more accountable in my behavior. I didn't want to have a church member come by and see the preacher losing his patience. And these people, they were trying to help me anyway. You know, why, what good would it have done for me to lose my patience with them? And so, over that period of time, that hour and a half or so that, that I had there, I had a good chance to witness to that gal behind the counter. I invited her to church, and she seemed interested. I hope that she'll come sometime. And, and the, the manager, as he walked me out of the store, if you've ever bought a gun there, you, they, they walk the gun to the door, and then they give it to you there at the, at the exit door. And so as we're walking together through the store, he's saying, you know, I, I want to thank you for being patient with us today. And it made me feel good that I was able to honor God 
through that trying experience. My point is, don't let your Christmas shopping and the glitches that you run into steal away your joy. If we're not careful, that can happen so easily. We can get all wrapped up and uptight over the things that don't have anything to do with the real meaning of Christmas. We have a reason to be joyful. A Savior has been given to us. His name is Jesus. Amen? I want to read to you today from Luke chapter 1. You might be turning there as I'm speaking to you. Last week, you may remember, Dusty covered John chapter 1. Over the next several Sundays, we are going to look at different passages of Scripture that tell the Christmas story, and we will look at them in chronological order. And this series of sermons uh, centered around the birth of Jesus will actually springboard us into a new series for the coming year on the life of Christ. And I am really excited about this series. I hope and pray that it will be helpful to you. I've never preached such a series before. I've preached through the book of John in years past. I've preached through the book of Mark and the book of Luke. But I have never preached a chronological series on the life of Christ that would take us through all four Gospels at the same time. And I am quite sure this series will be rather lengthy. In fact, I'm thinking that it will take us all the way through a good portion of 2014. You know, not just 13, but also 14 if Jesus tarries that long. You, you never know. Jesus could come back way before this series is over. In fact, he could come back before this sermon's over. And if he did, I hope that you would be ready to meet him. My prayer will be that through this series of sermons, we will know him better and that we will love him more. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26 and 27. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we have two very special people that are introduced to us in this text. We have Mary, whom God has chosen to be the mother of his dear son, and we have Joseph, who will be the adoptive father. And the text there says that the two of these were engaged to be married. I want to read to you from Mark Moore's book. It's entitled The Life of Christ. It's a a commentary on Jesus' life, and I'll be studying from this for this series in in the next year or two to come. Let me read to you what he says about engagement in this day of Jesus. He says, shortly after a girl hit her teens, she would be betrothed, that is, engaged. The parents of the prospective couple would make the arrangements and, in fact, choose the partner. Although this does not meet our cultural ways, it remains to this day an effective means of marriage. Once a young man saved a dowry, he would choose a mediator, possibly a friend. The mediator would go with the young man's parents to the house of the prospective bride. 
her parents would meet them and offer a drink. The party would refuse the drink until the price of the dowry had been set and consent of the bride given. Her parents would then choose a mediator for their side and the negotiations would begin. Once the matter was settled, refreshments were brought out and everyone celebrated the agreement. Betrothal would probably last no longer than a year before the wedding. This contract was legally binding and could only be broken by death or divorce. In case of the former, the woman was considered a widow. Yet sexual relations were not permitted until after the wedding ceremony. According to Jewish custom, Mary was probably about 15 years old. The text tells us that Mary was a virgin. She and Joseph had never had sexual relations with one another, and that is obviously a very important point for us to remember as we go through this story. By the way, I was studying with someone recently who did not know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We live in a world today that is simply ignorant of Scripture. And I I say that not in a mean way. It's simply the truth. People are not familiar with the most basic points of Scripture. And so as we witness to them, we cannot make assumptions. We cannot assume that they know those things that are very basic to us who have grown up in the church. And so we try to teach them this, the biblical truth. We try to teach them that which is in the Scripture. And it was interesting to me, as I shared with this person, this truth about the virgin birth, that she accepted it with no argument. She was shocked. Yeah, she was really shocked. But she accepted it as the truth. And I learned something from that encounter. If we will share the truth with people, God is able to take that truth and use it and change people's lives. He'll plant that truth into their heart and he can change their life with that. Mary and Joseph were honoring God through their personal purity. Another point in this text that that we've read is Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth at the time. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Do you remember that from John chapter 1? Philip went to Nathanael and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. He said to him that the Messiah, this fellow that we have found, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. And Nathanael said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth apparently didn't have a very good reputation in that day, at least in Nathaniel's mind. If you look on a map in the back of your Bible, you'll see that, that Nazareth is there not too far off uh, from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're in upper, upper Galilee. And just a little bit of ways is a little town called Cana. Nathaniel was from Cana. And so these two towns, it may have just been a friendly rivalry between those who lived in those towns. Kind of like you and I saying, can anything good come out of Pittsburgh? (laughs) Can anything good come out of Nevada? Well, in Nathaniel's mind, he's saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But you know what? 
God loves to choose people who are from Nowheresville, people who are from Nazareth, people who are from Fort Scott, people who are from Pittsburgh. God loves to choose just common, ordinary folks and do supernatural things with them. And he'll do that if we'll surrender to him. Before I get away from these two verses, I think it's worth mentioning about the angel, Gabriel, who stood before Mary. Do you know what Gabriel's name means? This was new to me. I really appreciated learning this. His name means God is my hero. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we have lots of heroes today that we lift up. Uh, folks in the world, they have heroes from Hollywood and heroes from Nashville and heroes from the sports arena. You and I ought to have God as our hero. That's Gabriel. Let me, let me read to you verses 28 and 29 as we go on in this story. And coming in, Gabriel said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. She was perplexed, the scripture says. Some of your Bibles may read, she was troubled. She was confused. The the New Living Translation treats verse 29 in this way. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. In other words, she was thinking, what's going on? I've got an angel standing in front of me, and what is this message that he is saying to me? She was trying to figure out the meaning of the message. And certainly she must have been somewhat alarmed by this angel standing in front of her. It's not every day that we have a celestial being all of a sudden stand in front of us and start talking to us. So at the very least, she is alarmed over this angel's presence in front of her. The angel continued by saying, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's interesting to me, practically every time that I see in Scripture an angel appearing before a human being, the very first words that come out of that angel's mouth are the words, Do not be afraid. You see, God doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to trust him. God wants to calm our fears. And that's what this angel is trying to do with Mary. He's saying, don't be afraid, Mary. But then what he has to say after that must have been absolutely shocking to her. Let me read to you verses 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Ladies, can you put your shoe, yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment? your head would have been swimming just like her head must have been 
swimming. Don't you know that that was like a ton of bricks being dropped on Mary's head? I don't know if it all sunk in to her brain or not. Probably some of it did and some of it didn't. But I'm pretty sure that the fullness of the meaning did not soak into her brain. But for you and I, as we read about it after the fact, and we are able to compare it with all of the the Old Testament prophecies, we know how big this was. This announcement had eternal significance. She was going to give birth to the Son of the Most High God. The long-awaited Messiah was going to leave his home in heaven. He was going to come to this earth and he was going to come through her. He would sit on the throne of David. He would reign forever over the house of Jacob. His kingdom would have no end. And all of these Words were were familiar terminology to Mary, who was a Jew, and I am quite sure that she must have felt completely overwhelmed with this message that the angel had given to her. Remember, she is a girl, maybe, of 15 years old, from Nazareth. And so, with her head spinning, she has one question that she can muster up. And it's understandable, as she asked this question, verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? She's saying, I've I've never been with a man. Joseph and I, we've never, we've been pure. How can this be? Let me read to you verse 35 as the angel responds to her question. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, I am quite sure that Mary didn't understand that any more than what you and I understand it fully. But what the angel was saying was simply this, Mary... You don't worry about that. God's going to take care of the how. We just want you to know what's going to happen. God's going to take care of the particulars. He had more news for her. Let me read verse 36 and 37. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if you don't have verse 37 highlighted in your Bible, you really should highlight it. Take a pen, take a yellow marker, take a purple marker, and highlight verse 37. Because it's a verse that you need to come back to time and time again in your life. For nothing will be impossible with God. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Surely she must have known it wasn't going to be easy. The whispers, the gossip, 
She's from small town there in the middle of Galilee where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. And surely she must have known the whispering and the gossiping that would have taken place and and the glares and, and the scorn. And really, if you want to know the truth, she would have been guilty of death by the law of Moses. Anyone engaging in sex outside of marriage was guilty before God and deserved to be stoned to death according to the Old Testament law. And who would have believed her had she tried to tell them the truth? This baby that I'm carrying is really not from a man, it's from God. (laughs) Yeah, right. Nobody would have bought into that. And yet, Mary was placing herself completely in the hands of God. She is saying to this angel, Be it done to me according to your word. Whatever you want. Whatever God desires. Whatever his wishes are for me, that's what I want. That's what I'm willing to submit to. Now, that's the kind of faith that you and I need to have. That we would be submissive to God's will. That we would say yes to what He wants us to do and who He wants us to be. I have three lessons for you as we've, we've gone through the text verse by, by verse. We've got a good look at what the text says. I just want to draw three lessons from the text for you today. And the first lesson is this. God is faithful to keep His word. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, God had promised a Savior that would come through the seed of the woman. You you can read that for yourself in Genesis 3.15. It's the first of many promises, promises that would be repeated over and over again in Scripture for the next several centuries. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, says that the Messiah would come through the loins of Abraham, and he did. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, a star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel. Who was that star? The star was Jesus, and he came through Jacob, just as the prophets had said. The Messiah came through David's loins, just as the prophets said. You know, God is faithful in keeping his word. He never lies to us, and he never will. And you may wonder, what is the good of that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? If you're going to read through Matthew's gospel, uh, if you're like me, oftentimes you've just skipped over those first 17 verses because there's in that genealogy a whole bunch of names that are just uh, hard for us to pronounce and meaningless to us. But, But there really is some good to that genealogy. It's there for a reason. It's important. And it's it's simply this. That it shows that what God said the Messiah would be is exactly who he was. He came through Abraham. He came through Jacob. He came through David. He was everything that God said he would be. He was even born of a virgin, 
Just as the prophet Isaiah had said, chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet wrote this, 750 years before the event happened. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God said it, and it happened. God is faithful in keeping his word. God, through the prophet Micah, 500 years prior to the event, said that the Messiah would come and he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. And guess what? That is exactly what happened. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem, just as God said. God is faithful to keep his word. If he said it, you can believe it. And just as he has been faithful through the centuries past, he will continue to be faithful to you and to me today. If God says, I will forgive all of your sins, you confess them to me, you, you be repentant of your sins, and I will forgive them, you can count on that to be true. Because God is faithful in keeping his word. If God said, I will be with you always, I will never abandon you, then you can count on that to be true. God is faithful in keeping his word. And if he said that he would provide for us, then we can count on that to be true. He will be faithful in keeping his word. If he said that that he will work all things for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, then you can know without a doubt that God will be faithful in keeping his end of the bargain. And something else. If he said, I'm going to come back someday, and I'm going to take you and to a place called heaven, and you're going to be with me forever, And there will be a day of accountability. And there will be a day that the sheep will be separated from the goats. If that's what God has said to us, then we can count on that to be true. Because God is faithful in keeping his word. He's been faithful in the past. And he will be faithful in the future. Let me get to you a second point. A lesson from this text. God looks with favor upon those who are sold out to him. I want to focus on the angel's greeting to Mary for just a moment. He said to her, Hail, favored one. Or greetings, some of your Bibles may say. The NIV translates that verse this way. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That word favor in the original language, is the word grace. What's being said here actually is this. He's saying to Mary, Greetings, you who have had God's grace lavished upon you. Now, we have just spent the last 11 weeks talking about God's grace, and we know from that series and what we've read in Scripture, and we just know from our own common sense that God's grace is given both to the righteous and to the unrighteous. And we experienced that even this morning. As we woke up and we come outside, it was such a beautiful morning. And you know what? God's, uh, God's people, the righteous, 
people can experience that kind of a mourning, and, and so too can the most wicked, vile person on the face of the earth. They can walk outside. God sends his son on the righteous and on the unrighteous, and he sends his reign on the righteous and on the unrighteous. But there is a lavishing of God's grace that is poured out upon those who are especially his. He loves to pour his grace upon those who are wholeheartedly committed to him. And that is the story of Mary's life. She was sold out to him and to his cause. She had kept herself pure for him. She had a devotion to him that was so deep that when she was confronted with this mission to give birth to the Son of God and to mother him, that she was willing to submit to that. She said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And though she must have known there were difficult days ahead for her, she still submitted to God's way. Could I just speak to you for a moment about Mary? She is deserving of our greatest admiration and respect. She is not deserving of our worship. But her faith is one to emulate. She had such a strong faith in God and she was willing to be God's servant to submit to God's way, that's the kind of faith that we ought to be trying to imitate in our life. Think with me. She was one out of all of the women on the face of the earth at that time that God looked down upon her and he lavished his grace upon her to be the mother of his only begotten son. I think you could say it this way. Mary was the apple of God's eye the one whom he chose to pour his grace upon and to give her this great responsibility. And I'm wondering, what job or what mission would he like to give to you and to me if we would trust him the way Mary trusted him? He wants to lavish his grace upon us. It's our responsibility to grow our faith. Could I challenge you this morning to be pure the way Mary was pure? You know, I'd like to take some time, some, a, a long period of time, but we don't have that this morning. I want to I take a moment, though, at least, to challenge you in this area of sexual purity. We live in a world that has a complete different mindset than what God's Word says. We, we see it on TV. We see it in our peers. We see it everywhere in the world around us that, that just do as you please and go your own way and, and, and be sexually active with any and everybody. That's not God's way. Whether you're young or whether you're old, God is challenging us to be sexually pure. And might I remind you, there will be a day of accountability. And might we have Mary's 
attitude. Be it done to me, Lord, according to your word. If you have that kind of devotion towards God, then get ready for God's grace to be lavished upon you. I'll give to you one final lesson from this text. Nothing is impossible with God. That was the angel's message to to Mary as she asked that question. How can this be since I am a virgin? He said to her in verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. You and I have to believe that. It's the truth. If he can cause a young virgin girl to conceive and have a baby, then he can do anything he wants to do including help us amidst our problems. Our problems are not too big for this kind of a God. And the the amazing thing, the wonderful thing is, He wants to help us with our problems, and He will if we ask Him and seek Him wholeheartedly. Would you read this verse with me as we conclude today? For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? Let's read it again together. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your power. Thank you for being a God that can do whatever you want to do. So we want to trust you. We want to submit our lives to you. Thank you for your plan of salvation through Jesus. It's in his name we pray.